The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. There is no doubt we face a profound economic challenge. We now need stability and unity. I pledge that I will serve you with integrity and humility. The most important objective for our country right now is stability. Governments cannot eliminate volatility in markets. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Ewan Potts. And I'm Stephen Carroll. We are in the middle of Christmas party season. If you haven't been outside recently, I can't move for the people dressed in Christmas jumpers in the city. I feel like it's the new uh, formal wear that we're expecting in the financial <laughs> hub. Uh, listeners might not be aware that Ewan is actually a famed host and you've already had your Christmas party. Yeah, well, I always like to do it early. It's actually actually nearly two weeks uh, since I had my Christmas party. I've just about recovered, frankly. <laughs> I did it. I actually I did it early last year. And everyone said, this is great. This is going to be the first Christmas where things open up again. No more COVID. Oh, that ended poorly. And then Omicron struck. Yeah. And I feel this year that, um, although, we, thank goodness, we haven't got Omicron or any you know, much talk of COVID, I do feel like I was a little bit prescient in holding it early again. There seems to be another story on the terminal about cancels, about cancellations. Yeah, that's right. In fact, the hospitality industry is saying that they're seeing rates, cancellation rates of as much as 30%. Uh, and this is because of the rail strike. So we've got four days coming up um, that the railways are going to be affected. And then there are more strikes, as we know, going to take place over the Christmas itself. Um, they're saying that this could blow about one and a half billion pounds from revenues uh, in the sector again, almost as much as the cancellations were this time last year, of course, as we know, for very different reasons and putting a bit of a chill on the Christmas cheer along with the colder weather that's happening. But I mean, it does seem already about 20 years ago when we think about how different mm. things were this time last year. Yeah, it's really quite something. You have to feel sorry for people running you know, bars and restaurants because Christmas is just so important. And finally, we've got rid of COVID after all that time. And we've got another thing. Well, it's still around. Well, it is still less, around. Less yes, it, is, it is, but it's less disruptive. The other interesting thing, actually, which uh, it is an anniversary of, which producer James uh, flagged this morning, it is exactly a year, or pretty much exactly a year, since the first video emerged of lockdown-breaking parties at Downing Street, what at the time we would have called alleged parties. Uh, then, if I remember rightly, there was a bit of a pause before the second one, and then, of course, there was like a whole flurry of allegations which sort of took us all the way through the beginning of uh, 2022. But yeah, it was this time last year when that very first uh, one emerged. And of course, the start of that major political story that led to Boris Johnson's downfall. Well, let's turn to other matters now. Today, we have the Labour Party setting out more details of its vision for the economy in a conference that's aimed at business leaders. Keir Starmer's team aiming to position themselves as the party to be trusted on the economy as Britain's economic outlook looks increasingly bleak. Joining us now is the Labour MP for Salford and Eccles is, and Starmer's former shadow business secretary, Rebecca Long-Bailey. Rebecca, thanks very much for being with us on the programme. Why should... Why should business leaders back Labour? What would you do that's that's different to the Conservatives? Well, I think what was staggering um, in the autumn statement was that the, the Chancellor tried to pin all of the blame of the economic crisis on international factors when we know how much damage was done to the economy by Liz Truss's disastrous mini-budget. Now, 
it appears that the Chancellor is expecting ordinary people and hardworking businesses to pay for the mess that was caused. We know that we're in a very difficult situation. The OBR has said that living standards are set to fall by about 7%. But the response to that was um, calling for millions of people to pay more in taxes. So, for example, council taxes um, are likely to be increased to use uh, be partly funding social care. And people can't afford this. It's regressive and it's inhumane. And on the other side of the coin, hidden within the statement, were crazy um, proposals such as cutting the bank surcharge from 8% to 3%. And that was on top of removing the cap on bankers' bonuses a few months ago. So this autumn statement really was about making choices. It should have been about how you protect people and businesses in this country whilst you grow the economy at the same time so that we grow out our, ourselves out of recession, so that we grow our tax base and we can bolster public finances. But that didn't happen. Um, and in terms of the Labour's approach to this, we're very much taking the, the strategy that, you know, we need to protect people through this cost of living crisis. But at the same time, you can't stifle growth and you can't take oxygen away from the economy because you want businesses to continue to grow so that we can be in a good place um, at the end of this so-called recession. Mm, so we Rebecca, need to see the... investment in infrastructure and, uh, and on climate change, for example. On the subject of making choices, uh, surely to boost economic growth, two simple things we could do would be to loosen immigration rules uh, and to move back towards the European Union, perhaps rejoining the single market. Why doesn't Labour put the case for those things? Well, I think certainly from, from the position that our leader and, and kind of shadow cabinet members have taken is that we've had the, the Brexit debate now. We're not in government and we need to try and shape the debate going forward so that we can protect our economy and grow it as much as possible in the in the years preceding a general election and in terms of growing the economy our focus needs to be on our domestic economy certainly to support that through this crisis and make sure that we're pulling the levers of growth we're investing in research and development and on immigration what we need are two things really so we need to grow our own domestic skills base and that means investing more heavily in skills infrastructure which has been cut dramatically over the last 10 years and it's also about listening to businesses where they do have chronic shortages of staff in particular sectors that we ensure that we've got a fair immigration system that allows those skills to enter our economy where they're needed Okay, well, I mean, talking about more investment is going to worry, you know, the, the, the public finances at a time when we know that things are very tight. So how do you find the money to be able to invest amid all the other pressures that are on uh, the public finances at the moment? Well, there's a number of things that, I mean, I personally think that we need to do. So the first thing that we need to do is to boost incomes. And, and the government did set out that they were going to uprate pensions and benefits in line with inflation. That's good. But we also need to see increases in public sector pay and encouragement for businesses in increasing wages where they actually have the means to do it. Now, we know many businesses are struggling, but there are many businesses that are doing very well that aren't increasing their staff's pay in line with inflation. The second thing that we need to do is to invest in the tools that increase productivity. And that means investing in skills, infrastructure, research and development and industry such as green um, issues, the Green New Deal. And there was very little mention of this in the autumn statement. And that would increase productivity and growth overall. And then the last point is about how you increase the tax base. So, of course, you want to grow the economy so that our businesses are able to pay more in tax. Um, and we can boost our tax intake like that. But we've also got to have a fair taxation system. 
And that means having higher windfall taxes on oil and gas profits, for example, who've been seeing super profits in recent months. I also personally think it means equalising um, the tax of income from wealth so that's the same rate as income from work because we're in a preposterous situation where people who are working and get a salary actually pay a higher rate of tax than those who um, accrue their income from wealth and that can't be fair. So I think it's about having a fair taxation system. Labour's consistently showing a 20 or 25 point lead in the polls now. Do you think it's time for Labour to be a bit more radical with its policy agenda? And hopefully we will. I think there's, we don't know when the next general election is going to be, obviously. The government could wait until the end of 2024 to call that election. So I can understand the arguments um, you know, within our party, for example, that we shouldn't be setting out detailed policies well in advance of an election because, one, the Conservatives will try and pinch them from us because they've done that before. And secondly, we don't know what state the economy is going to be in by the time we get to that general election. But at the same time, You've got to set out a vision for the country and you've got to show people what voting Labour would mean. And we saw a little bit of that this week, I have to be honest. So, for example, on Monday, Keir Starmer and Gordon Brown outlined a report that had been commissioned into how we would devolve power, economic and political power to our regions and nations and give them more authority over how they develop their own local industrial strategies, how they Mm. invest in their own local research and development. And that's a good thing to see because we've needed that for a long time. You did mention public sector pay increases there. We know there's strike action being threatened by several parts of the health service. Uh, London bus drivers, for example, just uh, calling off their strike after accepting an 11% pay rise. Um, The Conservative government is moving to try and restrict striking in the public sector. Labour is saying they don't want to see industrial action that disrupts the public. And if Labour were in government, they would be doing everything to prevent them. How do you prevent strikes without essentially adding a massive cost to the public purse? Well, I think you've got to listen to the people who are taking strike action. They don't want to be on strike. They're ringing the alarm on low pay, erosion of their terms and conditions, and grave concerns, really, over the safety and future of their sectors. And just looking at a few um, sectors, you've got the postal service. They're faced with a real terms pay cut, but they're not just striking for that. They're striking for the future of Royal Mail itself because there are thousands of redundancies proposed, uh, prospects of abandoning morning deliveries and the universal postal service and the turning of Royal Mail really into a gig economy worker, one of the jewels in our industrial crown, if you like, that was revered across the world being turned into uh, a gig employer. Then you've got obviously our nurses. There are 133,000 vacancies across the NHS and it's important to note that nurses, paramedics and other NHS staff, they're not just striking about the fact that they've faced a real terms pay cut since 2010 and they haven't got enough to live on. They're actually ringing a huge alarm about patient safety. On pay, do you think that nurses should get at least an, a pay rise of inflation? I, I personally do. I understand the difficulties um, that you know our, our kind of shadow front bench will have on this because they don't know what state the economy is going to be in until we actually go through a general election and hopefully win that general election. But I do think we need to be looking now at how we would afford inflationary pay rises for public sector workers because at the very least people need enough to live on and I think we should be supporting those workers. Um, but as I said earlier, so this isn't just about pay, it's about patient safety for NHS staff. But the Royal College of Nursing's last shift survey report found that eight in ten shifts were unsafe. So it's not just about pay, it's about investment in the NHS overall. 
And I think it's important to stress that point. So yes, we want our workers to have enough to live on, but they're also ringing the alarm over safety and the future of their services. And the same is true for rail as well. Of course, they're striking for better pay terms and conditions, but they're also striking for safety across the railways because there's a prospect of the closure mm. of ticket offices, driver-only trains, the removal of guards from trains, and that puts traveller safety at risk. So I think we need to listen to the wide range of concerns that these workers are, are really striking for. Rebecca, we're interested in your perspective on, on I, I've heard you say a couple of times now about your view versus the shadow cabinet's view. And I'm wondering, do you feel that your views aren't being represented or heard within the Labour Party? Well, we're a broad church and that's how we, we should be. And, you know, as I say, we haven't got our manifesto yet. And my hope is, is that with other previous Labour leaders and Labour shadow cabinets is that the views of all of our members and all of our MPs will be listened to and we'll have those discussions and shape that policy together um, and, uh, and hopefully we will get to a point by the time we get to a general election where we have fantastic policies that we all get behind. We're seeing an exodus of uh, particularly Tory MPs at the moment, Sajid Javid and Matt Hancock not standing at the next election. And there are also a number of uh, Labour MPs who are standing down. Why do you think so many MPs are, are quitting at the moment? And what, what keeps you still involved in politics, Rebecca? I don't know. I think each individual MP has their own reasons for, for standing down. Some might be retiring. Some might want to go into a different career. I mean, I, don't, I haven't really spoken to many of the MPs who are standing down. Uh, other than those that I know on the Labour benches. Um, but, I mean, the thing that keeps me in politics is wanting to deliver a better standard of life for people. And sometimes it's difficult in opposition because you don't have the power to to deliver the change that you know is possible. But you know that you've got to keep fighting and you've got to keep chipping away in the background, trying to improve people's lives and trying to build the economy that you know we all deserve. And if we all give up, then what's the point of politics? Okay, Rebecca Long-Bailey, Labour MP for Salford and Eccles, thank you so much for joining us on Bloomberg UK Politics. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. The UK has approved its first coal mine, the first new coal mine in more than 30 years. The Woodhouse Colliery Project in Whitehaven in Cumbria will sell coal primarily to steelmakers overseas. Now, the approval for the mine comes despite criticism from the likes of COP26 President Alok Sharma, who said it would damage the UK's hard-won international reputation as a leader on climate change. Well, we're joining now, joined now by Mike Starkey, who's the Conservative Mayor of Copeland, the council where the mine is located. Mike, thank you very much for being with us. Uh, you were in favour of oh, yeah. this mine. What's in it? For Whitehaven? 
Oh, I'm absolutely in favour of this man, and I'm absolutely thrilled and delighted uh, of the outcome of the uh, of the government's decision to approve. Uh, you know, for Whitehaven, uh, the the economic impact is is huge in the positive. Uh, you know, it'll bring uh, you know, including supply chain, approximately two thousand jobs to the area. Uh, it's 160 million pounds worth of investment, which is all private investment. It's not relying on government subsidy or taxpayer. Uh, funding it's uh, all private investment so economically um, and and the opportunities it creates to diversify our local economy uh, it's great news so people broadly in favor of it in the local area plenty of jobs uh, for for your district but are you not concerned about the the environmental worries doesn't this just send the wrong message on climate change uh, no I don't think it does I think uh, it, it, you know the evidence has been presented. Uh, by experts on all sides of this argument. And, you know, you just need to read the planning inspector's report that completely dismisses all those concerns. You know, I think people like Alok Sharma um, need to be focusing on the, the positive things that we've already achieved in the UK. You know, we're, the, we're lead, among the world's leading economies. Uh, we're leading the way on climate change. And uh, in terms of thermal coal, which is burned for energy, um, we'll have uh, eradicated our reliance by the end of next year, which is, is far and away more than what they're doing in uh, in other parts of the developed world. But shouldn't the UK be trying to lead on this issue? That was the whole idea of having the COP26 conference in Glasgow last year, is that, you know, getting getting phasing out coal was one of the key issues. And it is a signal that's sent that's important that, you know, the UK had moved on from coal. The last mine closed in, in 2015, so surely opening a new one isn't isn't a great signal for the area. Well, we we have we have moved on. We've moved on significantly, as I, as I explained. We will eradicate the need for thermal coal by the end of next year. We will not be burning any coal for energy uh, while they still continue to do that in other parts of the world. We are leading the way. The coal that will come from Whitehaven is metallurgical coal, which is exclusively uh, for the manufacture of steel in the steelmaking process. And if we want a green industrial revolution with wind turbines, nuclear reactors, solar panels or tidal barrages, they'll all take significant amounts of steel and there is no economically viable uh, method uh, as an alternative to using corking coal in the steel manufacturing process. Well, you mentioned, you mentioned wind farms. Uh, the government has just uh, signalled it's going to backtrack on its ban on new uh, wind generation. Cumbria is pretty windy. Wouldn't it be better use of this site to, to, to have it have it generating power, green power via wind turbines? There's there's no reason why we can't have both. And uh, to to build wind turbines, you know, takes thousands of tons of steel, and the steel that you need to uh, need needs to be manufactured. You need coking coal in that process. Coking coal is on the EU uh, critical commodities list of, re- of required products. Um, and, and if he doesn't mind in Whitehaven, it's not that there'll be less corking coal used. It will just be used from elsewhere. And the carbon footprint of shipping it around the world, it, it's going to be mined. In uh, and, and you know, in the planning inspector report, um, you know, he, he states this will be carbon neutral. Is this a failure of levelling up? That what Whitehaven is getting out of this government policy is a coal mine whereas there could be other businesses attracted to the area that would provide greater economic benefit? 
No, this, this, this is levelling up in action. This is private capital coming into a community that, that you needed the jobs, investing significant amounts of money, uh, paying good wages, uh, and creating whole new opportunities for the residents of that area. You know, that's why the, uh, the community uh, almost unanimously um, in, 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 in the area that I represent supports uh, the decision that's been made to approve this mine. You know, what we've been, uh, you know, the, the, those opposing it and, you know, the Friends of the Earth and others in the Green Lobby for years have been talking about uh, thousands of green jobs. Well, this mine's been rumbling on for seven years. They've been making those claims for seven years and so far the number of jobs they've created in that sector is zero. It's it's uh, three years now, almost exactly three years since Boris Johnson won that majority, winning winning those red wall seats, including uh, you know getting an increased majority in Copeland in Cumbria. Do you think that uh, the government has delivered much on on levelling up up to now? Um, yeah, we're doing quite well out of it. You know, Julian, you know, we're we're a small borough of seventy thousand residents, and you know, you know, since since two thousand and fifteen, when I took office as uh, as mayor. We've, we've seen a new hospital, £130 million, two new schools, £50 million. In the last couple of weeks, it's been announced that we've got £72 million, uh, going into uh, two of our towns in Millen and Cleetamua, uh, in town deals. Um, so, you know, we, we've had significant investment coming in from the government, but the, the, this, is, uh, this approval of the mine is fantastic news for us. Um, Mike, the... The idea that this would be, um, as you say, an economic boom for Whitehaven, what, in a long-term point of view, how do you see it transforming the local economy? Well, it's, 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 it's going to create jobs and opportunity. It'll help us keep more of our young people because uh, you know, we're one of the few boroughs in the country where we're, we've had a declining population and hopefully we'll be able to attract more people to come and live and work here. Um, there'll obviously be a knock-on effect to the to the hospitality, um, but you know, we, which which we'll see new investment, which will attract tourism to the area, which is a another area that we're we're very much focused on. And you know, we're also hoping to uh, be the site for the new small modular nuclear reactors. Um, so you know, this is a a great step in the direction of travel, uh, of transforming the local economy here in Cumbria. Mike, you're a Conservative uh, mayor, uh, but the Labour Party has won the Copeland parliamentary seat fairly recently, back in 2015. Do you worry what's going to happen at the next election? Um, not now. Uh, this decision yesterday and Labour Party's reaction to it, uh, I think there'll be a lot of people reluctant to vote Labour in Copeland when, uh, when they've seen them trying to prevent this man going ahead. You know, the, 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 the Labour strapline in Copeland is we are against investment and we are against jobs. And that doesn't win many votes, uh, in my experience. Okay. Uh, Mike Starkey, Conservative Mayor of Copeland, thank you so much for joining us uh, on that story after we had that news that the UK has approved opening its first coal mine in more than 30 years. Great to get uh, Mike's position there on the reopening of that and the jobs that he says it will bring to the local economy. Yeah, clearly a, a happy man. Sounds like, uh, at least by uh, Mike Starkey's estimation, there will be a lot of jobs coming uh, to Cumbria with that new uh, somewhat controversial uh, coal mine. Just uh, bring you a couple of things we're looking ahead to today. Uh, in fact, tomorrow the first wave of Royal Mail postal worker strikes uh, kicks off. They're also going to be striking on December the 11th, 14th and the 15th. Uh, the Times, the Sun and the Mail, <coughs> amongst other papers, all reporting that the Prime Minister is planning to outlaw strikes 
by ambulance workers and firefighters early next year. That would extend the ban, which already applies to police and prison guards, bringing it uh, across uh, to all emergency services. Uh, yeah, of course. And we had that news that the London bus drivers called off their strike after reaching a pay deal uh, for a pay rise of 11% as well. So that's helped to, I suppose, relieve a bit of the pressure uh, in this uh, atmosphere of there being a consistent amount of, of strikes, uh, of course, facing us now, as we know, every day up until Christmas. Mm, interesting that the bus, well, it did seem that the bus drivers quite quickly got that 11%. I don't think we've seen many 11% pay rises in these disputes, and as far as any of them have been resolved. It does seem to me there's a certain fairness in this because bus drivers are not very well paid, particularly in London, if you compare them to tube drivers who earn a lot more and have just in the past been much uh, keener on flexing their industrial muscle. It's quite rare to see a bus strike, but it does seem that uh, uh, they flex their muscle a bit and they got a pay rise. So that seems to be a pretty clear win for, for bus drivers in London. Okay, that's it from us for today. If you like the programme, don't forget to subscribe and give it five stars so other people can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. This episode was produced by James Walcock and Marifal Hussain was on sound. I'm Ewan Potts. And I'm Stephen Carroll. We'll be back with more tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.